0: Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2015 Phoenix Gospel Truth Seminar. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Dwayne is a blessing. So he was preaching all of my message, but that's really good. That means that what we're sharing fit together, overlap each other, and so... I may say some of the same things that he was saying earlier this morning, but I'll fix them and put them out right, (laughs) amen? And it'll be a blessing to you. So let's turn back over to Romans chapter five. This is where I was last night. In Romans chapter five, and let me go back to Romans chapter five, verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. And like I was saying last night, this is one of the scriptures that just radically changed my opinion of God. This is what the Lord spoke to me November the 4th, 2014, that I've raised you up to change people's opinion of me. And as their opinion of me changes, their life will change and then they will change the world. And this is something that God used to totally transform my opinion because I had this concept of holy God created a holy man, and when man sinned, then holy God instantly rejected man. And there was this instant uh, anger and wrath and separation from God. And there are many Old Testament scriptures. I'm not gonna be able to say everything probably today. I'll, I'll be saying some of these things again in my messages tomorrow, but just an example of this is in Isaiah chapter 59, Verses one and two, it says, my hand isn't shorten, that it cannot save, nor my ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And there are many verses like that under the old covenant law, and I just transposed these things to the way that God felt about man originally, and I took things that God just totally rejected man Uh, when sin entered and I didn't have a clear understanding that through Jesus, all of our sin was paid for and that God is not imputing sin to us today. And so I I saw God as being angry and wrathful towards people before the law. And then even after the law, I thought thought that there was still an anger and a wrath and a rejection from God towards us as New Testament believers. This is the way that I was raised, and I believe that this is the way that the vast majority of religion today teaches is that God is imputing people's sins unto them. And yet this verse says that until the law, God was not imputing people's sins unto them. And then the verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself not imputing man's trespasses unto them. And this is just totally different than what I was taught and what I believe most people have come to believe. So let me go back and share with you some things. These are things that Dwayne has already touched on, but in Genesis chapter three is where Adam and Eve sinned against God. And this is where I thought that God just out of anger drove Adam and Eve out of the garden of Eden. But I want you to relook at this IN GENESIS CHAPTER 3, AND IN VERSE 22, IT SAYS, AND THE LORD GOD SAID, BEHOLD, THE MAN is BECOME AS ONE OF US, NO GOOD AND EVIL, AND NOW LEST HE PUT FORTH HIS HAND, AND TAKE ALSO OF THE TREE OF LIFE, AND EAT AND LIVE FOREVER. THEREFORE, THE LORD GOD SENT HIM FORTH FROM THE GARDEN OF EDEN TO TILL THE GROUND FROM WHENCE HE WAS TAKEN. THE REASON THAT HE SENT HIM OUT, IN VERSE 23, IT SAYS, THEREFORE, THE LORD GOD SENT HIM FORTH. ANYTIME YOU SEE THE WORD, THEREFORE, YOU'RE SUPPOSED TO LOOK AND SEE WHAT IT'S THERE FOR. THAT MEANS, DEPENDING UPON WHAT WAS JUST PREVIOUSLY SAID, THIS IS THE REASON HE DROVE THEM OUT OF THE GARDEN, AND IT WAS SO THEY WOULDN'T TAKE OF THE TREE OF LIFE AND EAT AND LIVE FOREVER. IT WASN'T BECAUSE GOD COULDN'T STAND MAN, BUT IT WASN'T BECAUSE HE WOULDN'T FELLOWSHIP WITH THEM, Dwayne was just making these points in the previous session about that God was still walking and talking with them and, and communicating with them. He didn't break off his relationship with man when he drove them out of the garden. I believe that the reason he drove Adam and Eve out of the garden was actually out of compassion and out of love for them, because he didn't want them to eat of the tree of life and live forever. Now, most people would look at that and say, well, that was punitive. THAT WAS GOD PUNISHING MANKIND. HE WOULDN'T ALLOW THEM TO LIVE FOREVER BECAUSE THEY HAD EATEN OF uh, the FRUIT AND HAD BECOME CORRUPTED. BUT I BELIEVE THAT YOU COULD LOOK AT IT THIS WAY, THAT WHAT WOULD IT BE LIKE IF WE HAD ALL OF THE PROBLEMS THAT THIS WORLD IS NOW SUBJECT TO BECAUSE OF SIN? I MEAN, ALL OF THE HATRED, THE HURT, THE PAIN, THE MURDER, the wars, the rape, the sickness, the disease, the poverty, people getting dementia, all of these kind of things that we see that came as a result of sin. What if all of that stuff was rampant in the earth and yet you could never die? Amen. Think about that. Death was never God's original purpose for mankind. He created us to live forever, but that was in a sinless Environment IN A SINFUL ENVIRONMENT, DEATH IS ACTUALLY A BLESSING FOR PEOPLE WHO HAVE ACCEPTED THE SALVATION. I MEAN, WE ARE GOING TO GO TO BE WITH THE LORD. PAUL SAID OVER IN PHILIPPIANS CHAPTER ONE, I HAVE A DESIRE TO DEPART AND TO BE WITH CHRIST, WHICH IS FAR BETTER. FOR THE BELIEVER, DEATH IS NOT THE END. IT IS JUST A STEPPING STONE INTO SOMETHING THAT IS GOING TO BE INFINITELY GREATER THAN ANYTHING THAT WE'VE GOT HERE. Imagine what it would be like if you had children that were born and and had some kind of a mental handicap, never able to function, had to be taken care of 24 hours a day, couldn't control their bowels, couldn't do anything, and you're gonna live forever in a state like that. What would it be like for people that are losing their minds to never have a hope of anything different? They're gonna be like this for eternity. What would it be like if all of the Hitlers and the pharaohs and the ungodly people, all the mass murderers and stuff. What if they were still alive? What if you could not get rid of anybody like this? And they were just here and they were spewing forth all of their hatred and stuff. You may think that death was a punishment and it was a punishment and a result of sin. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6:23. but it was actually a compassionate response to what Adam and Eve started. They have released corruption and vileness into the human race, into every one of us, that if somehow or another every one of us lived forever, it would be terrible. It would be terrible. You know, my mother lived to be 96 years old and towards the end of her life she was saying, you know, I just don't want to live. She was seeing things deteriorate, not only in her body, she was really healthy until she was 94, but she was, you know, my mother moved in a wooden uh, wagon uh, the very f- when she was a little girl, forded a, a river and, and when she was just a little girl. And yet in her lifetime she saw it go from a, you know, a wagon train to people landing on the moon and doing all of these things. She saw so many changes. She saw our Society changed so much that, man, she just did not want to be living in this society the direction it was going any longer and stuff. Can you imagine to be 10,000 years old and seeing unbridled corruption? Even though I don't embrace death, I don't believe it was ever God's first thing. It's It's a better alternative that people die, and especially for those who accept salvation, FOR US TO LEAVE THIS BODY, TO BE IN A BODY THAT'LL NEVER BE SUBJECT TO ANY SICKNESS, ANY DISEASE ANYMORE, AND the, EVEN THE FORMER THINGS WILL NEVER COME TO MIND IS WHAT THE SCRIPTURE SAYS. WE ARE GOING TO BE IN SUCH A GLORIOUS PLACE THAT WE WON'T EVEN REMEMBER ALL OF THIS BAD STUFF THAT HAPPENED. IT DOESN'T, doesn't MATTER HOW BAD YOUR LIFE is, HAS BEEN, THE COMPENSATION the glory that God has prepared for you so far outweighs what you've suffered that you will never even remember the former things. They'll never come to mind. It's not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. And so I'm saying all of this to say. THAT WHEN THE LORD DROVE THEM OUT OF THE GARDEN OF EDEN, IT WASN'T REJECTION, IT WASN'T AN END OF RELATIONSHIP, IT WASN'T WRATH AND PUNISHMENT, IT WAS ACTUALLY COMPASSION. HE DIDN'T WANT US LIVING FOREVER. HE HAD ALREADY PLANNED SOMETHING BETTER FOR ALL OF US. AND YOU CAN SEE THIS IN THE FOURTH CHAPTER. AGAIN, Dwayne MENTIONED THIS, BUT uh, I'LL MENTION IT MORE, I GUESS. I'M GOING TO MENTION IT ANYWAY, BECAUSE THIS IS THE WAY I DO IT. But. He was still walking and talking with them in the fourth chapter. How did they know to offer sacrifices? Well, the obvious answer would be that God was talking to them and communicating. He didn't record this, He didn't give them instructions on how to do sacrifices before they sinned. There wasn't any need for it. The logical answer would be that He was still in communion with man, He was still speaking to them, as Dwayne pointed out. And then, you know, some people criticize Cain over his offering because it wasn't a blood sacrifice, whereas Abel's offering was a blood sacrifice. But you know, there are scriptures when the law came that you were supposed to take the fruit of the ground. If that's what you did, if you were a farmer, you brought your first fruits and that's what Cain did. I don't believe it was the substance of his offering that was rejected, it was the attitude. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Not substance, but by faith. It was the attitude and stuff. So anyway, my point is, how did Cain know about a first fruit offering? That wasn't communicated until the law, thousands of years later. How did he know this? Well, just by context, God spoke to him. He was talking to them verbally and communicating with them. And he, he showed acceptance of Abel's offering and rejection of Cain's offering. How did this happen? It, it's not real clear right here, but there was either some physical or visible or audible um, communication from God with them that let him know this. And then when Cain's heart fell because God rejected his offering, God spoke to him in an audible voice right here and was talking to him. What is the difference between this and in the Garden of Eden, except the location? God is still talking with them. And I'm, I'm saying all of these things to say that, see, God wasn't imputing man's sins unto them. He did not just totally reject them and put this huge gulf in between him and them. God was still walking and talking with mankind, giving them instructions and speaking to them. He was not imputing man's sins unto them. And then Cain, of course, got jealous of his brother, Abel, and he wound up killing him. And when this happened, God came down, asked him, where is Abel, your brother? And Cain, look at this. Let me just point this out to you right here in verse um, 9. AND THE LORD SAID UNTO CAIN, WHERE IS ABEL THY BROTHER? AND HE SAID, I KNOW NOT, AM I MY BROTHER'S KEEPER? NOW THINK ABOUT THIS. IF YOU HAD JUST MURDERED SOMEBODY, AND THIS IS HARD FOR US TO RELATE TO BECAUSE I'VE READ A STATISTIC THAT THE AVERAGE CHILD BY THE TIME THEY GRADUATE FROM HIGH SCHOOL IS SEEN IN EXCESS OF 250,000 BRUTAL MURDERS THROUGH TELEVISION AND MOVIES. And so we've been so desensitized and hardened towards this. It's hard for us to put ourselves into this. But think, if you were the first person on the earth to ever kill another person, there had never been a murder before. You'd never been desensitized to it. You'd never been hardened towards it. And if you killed somebody, your own brother, and an audible voice out of heaven says, where is Abel, your brother? How many of you would just turn around and, you know, like put the knife or the whatever, the rock behind your uh, back and say, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? How many of you would respond that way to the Lord? Most of us would fall over dead right there. They wouldn't have to punish us if an audible voice out of heaven came and said, what have you done? You'd just die right on the spot. Cain's response speaks volumes. It shows that he had a familiarity with God and with God speaking to him that wasn't strange, it wasn't abnormal, it was normal for him, and that says volumes. And it says, just like Romans 5, 13 is saying, that until the law came, God wasn't imputing people's sins unto him. He wasn't holding sins against them. We've got to totally rethink THE WAY THAT GOD DEALS WITH PEOPLE, BECAUSE AGAIN, MOST PEOPLE BELIEVE, HERE'S HOLY GOD, AND THE MOMENT MAN BECAME UNHOLY, THERE WAS REJECTION, THERE WAS PUNISHMENT, THERE WAS SEPARATION, WRATH FROM GOD, AND YET THE SCRIPTURE TEACHES US, NO, THAT HE WAS NOT IMPUTING MAN'S TRESPASSES UNTO THEM. AND SO, in he, THERE WERE CONSEQUENCES TO um, Cain's SIN. I'M NOT SAYING THAT GOD APPROVED OF IT AT ALL, But God, instead of punishing Cain, what he did was actually protect him because Cain got afraid and he says, every man who hears of what I've done is gonna seek to kill me. And God put a mark upon Cain and said, if anybody touches Cain, I'll avenge his death sevenfold. God protected the first murderer, didn't punish him. Once the law came, THEN, ONCE A PERSON HAD KILLED ANOTHER PERSON, YOU HAD TO KILL THAT PERSON. IF SOMEBODY SHED MAN'S BLOOD, THEN HIS BLOOD HAD TO BE SHED. THAT'S A PART OF THE OLD TESTAMENT LAW. IN CONTRAST TO THIS, THE VERY FIRST PERSON WHO VIOLATED THE OLD TESTAMENT LAW WAS IN EXODUS CHAPTER 16, I BELIEVE IT WAS, AND THAT WAS ABOUT THE SABBATH, AND A PERSON PICKED UP STICKS ON THE SABBATH DAY They didn't know what the punishment was gonna be. They knew that this broke the law, but they didn't understand what the punishment was. And so Moses shut him up until he could hear from God. And God appeared unto Moses and told him, says, show him no mercy, make an example out of him. Take this man and stone him to death. So the first person who violated the Old Testament law, a person who picked up sticks to make a fire and cook some food was put to death. The first person that murdered another person was given protection and mercy. Man, how you can't see a difference between the Old Testament law and the New Testament grace and stuff. I just don't understand how people can't see this, but God wasn't imputing people's sins unto them. He was merciful. I think I mentioned this last night, but Abraham married his half-sister, which is a violation of Leviticus chapter 18. You cannot marry a half-sister. If you do, it's punishable by death. Abraham married a half-sister, and instead of being punished, he was called the friend of God, the only person in the Old Covenant called a friend of God. In the New Covenant, every person who has been born again is now the friend of God. But Abraham, this man who married a half-sister and was worthy of death under the Old Testament law, was the person that God used. Uh, Isaac came along. And Isaac did the same thing that his father did, lied about his wife and God blessed him and prospered him instead of judging him for uh, letting somebody else take his wife and was gonna let this uh, king commit adultery with her. And then Jacob came along. Jacob married Rachel and Leah, sisters. And according to Leviticus 18, that's punishable by death. And instead of Jacob being punished by death and rejected by God, Jacob wrestled with an angel of God and prevailed and his name was changed changed to Israel. And he became this mighty man of God. God was using these people that under the law, they would have been rejected and punished and yet God was was not imputing people's sins unto them. Boy, that is powerful. And this just totally began to start changing my impression about God. Instead of God being this harsh, angry God who is just so ticked off because of our sin, and holy God cannot fellowship with holy man, God has always been wanting to deal with us, not imputing our sins unto us and giving us mercy. He has always wanted to do that. Well, that raises another question. Well, if that's so, Well, then why did He ever give the law where He started imputing man's sins unto them? Turn back here to Romans chapter five, verse 13, this verse I was just using. And if you understand why the law was given, this would transform your opinion about God. In Romans chapter five, verse 13, it says, for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. That raises the question, well then why the law? If God wasn't imputing man's sins, well then why did He ever give the law and start holding people's sins against them and judging sins and rejecting people because of sin? If that was truly the heart of God and if it took 2,000 years before He started holding people's sins against them, why did He do it? In this next verse it says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come." If God wasn't imputing people's sins, then people think, well, then why did people die? It's because sin had a twofold effect to it. Now, this is just andiology. I can't show you a verse on this, but I can show you these principles in the Word of God. Sin was not only a transgression against God, that's what I call a vertical uh, relationship. It was not only worthy of God's wrath and judgment on us, but it also had a horizontal relationship. It was an inroad of Satan into our lives. Romans chapter six, verse 16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, Are of obedience unto righteousness. When you yield to sin, it's not only a transgression against God, but it is an invitation, an inroad of Satan into your life. Satan is the author of all sin. And when you yield to sin, it's just you giving a legal right for Satan to come in and to do whatever he wants to do in your life. John chapter 10 verse 10 says, "'The thief cometh not but for to steal, "'to kill, and to destroy. "'But I am come that you might have life "'and have it more abundantly.'" Satan is out to steal, kill, and to destroy. And every time you sin, you just open up a door to Satan to come in to steal, kill, and destroy. So even if God wasn't bringing this vertical punishment upon your sin, because He was gracious and He was not imputing your sin until your sin was still destroying the human race. And this is what Romans 5, 14 is saying. Nevertheless, death was reigning. Even if God wasn't inflicting His punishment and judgment, death was reigning on the earth because Satan is the author of death. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Satan was destroying the human race. AND IF GOD HADN'T HAVE DONE SOMETHING TO LIMIT THE AMOUNT OF SIN AND TO DEAL WITH SIN, EVEN THOUGH HE WASN'T BRINGING HIS PUNISHMENT AND JUDGMENT UPON SIN, SIN WAS DESTROYING THE HUMAN RACE. You know, Dwayne mentioned that Methuselah lived to be 969 years, the oldest man, but about during the time of Abraham, it says that Abraham died at 175 years old, and he was considered a very old man at 175. Abraham was about 17, this is, the flood was 1656 years after the fall of man, and so Abraham was approximately right around 1700 years after the fall of Adam and Eve, and in 1700 years, the lifespan came from the upper 900s down to 175. By the time Moses came along, Moses is the one who uh, lived to be 120 years old, but he wrote Psalms chapter 90, or was it 91? Anyway, one of those. And he said, the days of a man's life shall be threescore years and 10, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore, yet is there, are their days labor and travail. And so Moses is the one that wrote that. So in uh, approximately 2000 years, man's lifespan had decreased to approximately, what would that be? One-tenth or something like that of what the other, uh, the first people's lifespan had been. AND A LOT OF THAT WAS BECAUSE SIN WAS JUST MULTIPLYING IN THE EARTH, AND IT WAS STEALING, KILLING, AND DESTROYING. SICKNESS AND DISEASE WAS RUNNING RAMPANT, AND ALL OF THESE THINGS WERE HAPPENING. IF GOD HADN'T DEALT WITH SIN AND DONE SOMETHING TO LIMIT SIN AND TO CHANGE THE SITUATION, THERE LITERALLY WOULD NOT HAVE BEEN A VIRGIN LEFT FOR JESUS TO HAVE BEEN BORN THROUGH. Corruption was multiplying on the earth. You can see that right here in the fourth chapter. Let's go back to the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis, because like I mentioned, God wasn't imputing man's trespasses unto them. Instead of punishing Cain, he protected Cain and extended mercy towards the very first murderer. But in this fourth chapter, it goes on down in Genesis chapter four, And in verse 23, it says, And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah. Lamech was the first person to have uh, practiced polygamy recorded in the Bible. And he says, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. The way that this is put in the King James is a little confusing, but this is just talking about that he killed a man in self-defense is what this is talking about, and in verse 24 it says, If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. Now, God didn't say that. Lamech said that. And this is the same mistake that's made in, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, 12, or either 2 Corinthians 10, 10, 12, it's over there someplace. And it says, BUT THEY COMPARING THEMSELVES AMONG THEMSELVES AND MEASURING THEMSELVES BY THEMSELVES ARE NOT WISE. THIS IS SOMETHING THAT PEOPLE DO ALL OF THE TIME. INSTEAD OF HAVING A PERFECT STANDARD OF RIGHT AND WRONG, MOST PEOPLE JUST LOOK AROUND AND KIND OF TAKE AN AVERAGE. AND THEY JUST, WELL, YOU KNOW, EVERYBODY SEEMS TO BE DOING THIS, AND SO IT MUST BE OKAY. THAT'S ABSOLUTELY WRONG. THAT'S WRONG. And yet there are people today that are allowing things. Did, you know, there was this guy, Arthur Burt, who came and spoke at our Bible school. And our very first missions trip, we went over to uh, uh, Wales where he lived. And this man, he just died, I think it was in less than a year ago, and he was 102 years old or something like that. And he, was, uh, he used to travel with Smith Wigglesworth. And we took this trip over to uh, Wales, and we stayed at his home, and I and the, and the students just sat around and were pumping him for questions and asking him different things. And uh, it was really interesting to get his perspective, somebody who had been around you know, so many years before and had seen all of these things. And one of the questions I asked him, I said, Arthur, what kind of uh, change have you seen take place in your life? And the story he related, to try and summarize this, was talking about when he was a kid in Wales, when they would go swimming, the women had to wear what they call bathing costumes, and it had to be up to your neck, down to your wrist, and down to your ankles. Every inch was covered. And even with that, a woman couldn't get out in public in this bathing costume that covered her from from neck all the way down to her ankles, she would have to go into this little building and change clothes and it was uh, tied to a mule and the mule would go out into the water, face the door away from the shore. The woman would have to open up the door and slip into the water and get into the water and swim. And then when she wanted to get out, she'd raise her hand and they'd bring this out and she'd have to get in and change her clothes and stuff. And he says, and to see from that, to where people are wearing virtually nothing today. He was just amazed. But think about this. Think about how our morality is so relative to what we were raised in. Arthur Burt was raised under that type of standard today. there's, There's kids that are being raised today that I won't go into the description, but I'm sure all of you have seen what they consider to be normal and stuff, everything is relative to most people. Did you know 50 years ago when I was a kid, homosexuality, there was homosexuals, there was a guy in our church who was a homosexual that tried to take me on a camping trip. and (laughs) My mother had to explain to me why I couldn't go and stuff. There were homosexuals then, but they didn't hold parades and they didn't brag about it and they didn't promote it and try and force you to accept it and actually promote it as being an accepted lifestyle. Things have changed radically, and yet there's people today that are being raised under a completely different set of values and stuff. They are being told things that are just completely wrong. We have seen a huge switch in our culture in just one generation. How does God deal with this? See, Lament came along and said, well, my great, great, great grandfather Cain killed a man, and he wasn't punished. He got away with it, and so if God is going to avenge him sevenfold, then he'll avenge me 70 and sevenfold. God didn't say that, Lamech said it. Lamech considered his murder in self-defense to be much better than uh, Cain, who just went out and killed his brother out of anger. And so he was saying that mine was okay, it was justifiable. AND PEOPLE WERE BEGINNING TO JUSTIFY MURDER. THEY WERE JUSTIFYING POLYGAMY. THEY WERE JUSTIFYING HOMOSEXUALITY. THEY WERE DOING ALL OF THESE THINGS, AND PEOPLE WERE LOSING THEIR PERSPECTIVE ON WHAT IS RIGHT AND WRONG, AND BECAUSE OF IT, THEY WERE JUST GOING OUT AND LIVING IN SIN, AND SATAN WAS DESTROYING THE HUMAN RACE THROUGH IT. EVEN THOUGH GOD WASN'T BRINGING HIS WRATH AND PUNISHMENT, Satan was literally destroying the human race. The lifespan decreased from just under 1,000 years per person down to where a a person that lived to be 80 years old is considered to be an old person. Satan was destroying the human race. God had to do something to stop this situation. And so what He did was the law. And when He gave the law, The law instilled fear in people all of a sudden. You know, it's like, I don't know if this will minister to you. I've tried to come up with a lot of different illustrations to help people understand this and hadn't come up with a good, this is the best one I got. But if you were standing in quicksand and if you were sinking, but if everybody around you was in the same quicksand and you were all sinking at the same rate, it would be hard to recognize what was happening because you don't have anything that is fixed and established. But if there was some standard like a pole or something with measurements on it that was on solid ground, and if you could see that, well, then in comparison, you could see that, uh uh-oh, I'm sinking. Unless something happens, we're going to die. You needed some standard that wasn't uh, relative, that didn't fluctuate from generation to generation and stuff. And this is what God did when he gave the law. People were saying, Cain got by with murder. My murder is more justifiable than his. I can get by with it. This person over here, they do all these things and it doesn't affect them. So all of a sudden, God gave the law. And when the law came, sin revived and I died. And all of a sudden, I began to realize, uh uh-oh, if this is God's standard, then man, I have sinned. AND I'M GOING TO SPEND MORE TIME ON THIS TOMORROW. I WON'T GO INTO ALL OF THE DETAIL TODAY, BUT I'M GOING TO SHOW YOU A LOT OF SCRIPTURES THAT SHOW YOU THAT THE LAW CAUSED SIN TO COME ALIVE, IT MADE YOUR CONSCIENCE revive. IT MADE CONDEMNATION COME ALIVE, IT KILLED YOU, IT MADE YOUR LUST, IT MADE SIN ACTUALLY MULTIPLY IN YOUR LIFE. AND MOST PEOPLE THINK, OH NO, THE LAW WAS GIVEN, TO STOP SIN AND SO THAT we, WE COULD OVERCOME SIN AND SO THAT WE can HAVE A RELATIONSHIP WITH GOD. THAT'S THE OPPOSITE OF WHAT THE LAW WAS GIVEN FOR. THE LAW WAS GIVEN TO KILL YOU AND TO MAKE YOU CONDEMNED AND TO MAKE YOU SO FEARFUL OF GOD THAT OUT OF FEAR YOU MAY NOT COMMIT AS MUCH SIN, BUT THE SIN YOU DID COMMIT WOULD HAVE MORE DOMINION OVER YOU, MORE DAMAGE IN YOUR LIFE THAN YOU COULD HAVE POSSIBLY IMAGINED. Most people don't understand that. And again, it's probably going to be tomorrow before I can get into the scriptures and explain this completely. But let me just give you a little testimony about this, that I was raised in a Christian home. I got born again when I was eight years old. And I mean, I was seeking God with my whole heart, but I was raised under the law. And I used some of you will think I'm making this stuff up, but this is (laughs) all the truth. I, I used to have dreams. I mean, reoccurring nightmares at least twice a year for probably, I don't know, eight, 10 years. I used to have reoccurring nightmares that I had smoked a cigarette and then I got caught and turned into the police. And the police turned me over to my mother and my mother was beating me and then I would wake up in hell and I would wake up in a cold sweat shaking because I had gone to hell because I had smoked a cigarette. I know some of you are like, oh, that's you're making this up. It's the truth. I used to have a deadly fear of sinning and going to hell for any sin, smoking a cigarette. I used to see profanity scribbled in a uh, stall in a bathroom and I would repent over seeing it. I didn't write it. I just saw somebody else had scribbled it and I would repent for weeks and ask God to forgive me that I'd even let that thought come through my mind. And somebody would think, boy, you were messed up. I was, <laughs> but that's what the law will do to you. But my point is, guess what? I've never smoked a cigarette. I'm, I'm moving towards 66 years old. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never said a word of profanity. I've never taken a drink of liquor in all of my 66 years. The law stopped me from committing certain things, but I was probably more guilt ridden and felt more wrath from God than many of you who were out living in sexual immorality, smoking, drinking, doing whatever. The law. PUT FEAR IN ME. IT SAYS IN PROVERBS chapter 16, VERSE 6, IT SAYS, THROUGH uh, THE FEAR OF GOD, MEN DEPART FROM EVIL, BUT IT'S THROUGH MERCY AND TRUTH THAT INIQUITY IS PURGED. YOU CAN PUT FEAR IN PEOPLE, AND YOU CAN CAUSE PEOPLE TO DO THE RIGHT THING OUT OF FEAR, BUT FEAR HAS TORMENT. GOD NEVER INTENDED FOR US TO SERVE HIM OUT OF A FEAR OF TORMENT. IF HE HAD INTENDED IT, HE COULD HAVE COMMUNICATED THE LAW TO ADAM AND EVE. HE WAS TALKING TO THEM FACE TO FACE. THIS WAS NORMAL IN THOSE DAYS. WHEN MOSES CAME ALONG AND GOD SPOKE TO HIM, IT WAS ABNORMAL. GOD COULD HAVE COMMUNICATED THE LAW IMMEDIATELY. WHY DID HE WAIT 2,000 YEARS AFTER THE FALL OF MAN before BEFORE HE GAVE THE LAW? BECAUSE THAT WAS NOT HIS ORIGINAL INTENT. THE LAW WAS NOT A GOOD REPRESENTATION OF GOD. IT HAD A PURPOSE, IT SERVED A FUNCTION. BUT IT WASN'T REALLY THE WAY THAT GOD WANTED TO RELATE TO MAN. GOD DID NOT WANT TO IMPUTE OUR SINS UNTO US, AND HE ONLY DID IT AS A LAST RESORT TO LIMIT THE AMOUNT OF SIN AND PRESERVE A GODLY SEED UNTIL JESUS COULD COME AND COULD REDEEM US OUT FROM UNDER THE LAW. IT WAS ONLY A LAST DITCH TEMPORARY MEASURE AND GOD INSTITUTED A COVENANT OF FAITH WITH ABRAHAM 430 YEARS BEFORE THE LAW WAS GIVEN. AND THE the COVENANT OF FAITH, THE WHOLE BOOK OF GALATIANS IS ABOUT THIS. GALATIANS CHAPTER 3 SPECIFICALLY FOCUSES ON IT, THAT THAT OLD TESTAMENT COVENANT OF FAITH WITH ABRAHAM SUPERSEDED THE OLD TESTAMENT LAW. AND IT WAS THE COVENANT THAT WAS REALLY WORKING. EVEN UNDER THE OLD TESTAMENT LAW, ANYBODY WHO REALLY HAD A RELATIONSHIP WITH GOD DID IT THROUGH FAITH, NOT THROUGH THE LAW. NOBODY HAS EVER BEEN ABLE TO KEEP THE LAW. THE LAW WASN'T GIVEN SO YOU COULD KEEP IT, BUT THE LAW WAS GIVEN TO, FIRST OF ALL, TAKE AWAY THIS RELATIVE COMPARATIVE THING TO WHERE YOU COULD uh, SIT THERE AND JUSTIFY YOUR SIN AND SAY, WELL, I, YOU KNOW, Cain COMMITTED MURDER AND HE GOT BY WITH IT, I THINK I CAN GET BY WITH IT. God just brought your conscience back to the right place and showed you that, man, Satan is having huge inroad into your life because you are doing this, this, and this. So that was one of the purposes of the law. Another major purpose of the law was to take away self-righteousness from people who were trusting in themselves. And I tell you, this is rampant today. Religion, instead of recognizing the law for what it was meant to be, They have promoted the law as God gave us the law to show us all of the things that we must do to be right with God. And they are basically promoting it as a positive thing that, you know, step one through 10,000 that you have to do to get right with God, to have God move in your life. The Lord gave the law to show you how incapable of keeping the law you were so that you would despair of being worthy. THAT YOU WOULD RECOGNIZE NOBODY IS WORTHY. GOD RAISED THE BAR SO HIGH THAT NOBODY CAN LIVE UP TO THE STANDARDS OF THE LAW. I KNOW THAT THERE'S PEOPLE RIGHT HERE TODAY THAT ARE SAYING, NOW THIS IS WRONG. YOU'RE TELLING PEOPLE THAT YOU CAN'T FULFILL THE LAW. THAT'S EXACTLY WHAT I'M SAYING. NOBODY IN HERE HAS EVER KEPT THE LAW. And somebody says, well, I, I may not be perfect, but at least I don't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do, praise God. I'm, I'm holier than this person. That's the Pharisee syndrome that says, you know, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men like this publican over here. I fast twice in the week. I pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin. And <laughs> there are people that compare themselves among themselves and make it a relative holiness. The Bible says in James chapter two, verse 10, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of all. I have never done many of the things that some of you in here have done. There are me- I have never been there. I've never done those things. And yet who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell, amen? <laughs> We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if you miss hell, I MEAN, IF YOU MISS HEAVEN BY AN INCH, YOU MISS IT BY A MILE. JUST BECAUSE I HAVEN'T DONE WHAT SOME OF YOU HAVE DONE, I, THERE WAS A TENDENCY FOR ME TO THINK THAT, YOU KNOW, I'M REALLY GOOD AND GOD, YOU'VE GOT TO ACCEPT ME BECAUSE I'VE LIVED A RELATIVE HOLY LIFE. THE LAW WAS MADE FOR RELIGIOUS PEOPLE LIKE ME TO SHOW ME THAT IT DOESN'T MATTER HOW GOOD YOU ARE RELATIVE TO OTHER PEOPLE, YOU'VE ALL sinned AND COME SHORT OF GOD'S PERFECT STANDARD, WHICH IS JESUS. AND WHEN THE law, LAW CAME TO ME, IT MADE ME QUIT TRUSTING IN MYSELF AND IN MY GOODNESS, AND IT MADE ME THROW MYSELF ON THE MERCY OF GOD. I BELIEVE THAT THAT'S THE DOMINANT PURPOSE OF THE LAW, WAS TO TAKE AWAY YOUR OWN RELIGIOUS SMUGNESS AND SELF-RIGHTEOUSNESS SO THAT YOU WOULD QUIT TRUSTING IN YOURSELF AND THINKING THAT GOD earned, OWED YOU SOMETHING. AND YOU KNOW WHAT? THE LAW STILL HAS THAT PURPOSE TODAY, AND IT'S GOOD IF YOU USE IT FOR THAT PURPOSE. For a person who thinks that they don't need God, that somehow or another they are, you know, just better than other people, and you don't need God, boy, the law will cut you down to size. I held a meeting in Houston, Texas, and there was a guy who, it was like two, 300 people in the service, and, and the doors were open, and a guy walked by, he was in a Holiday Inn, and he watched for a while, and then he came in, and then he stood and started yelling some things at me, and I tried to uh, reason with him, and anyway, he wouldn't, I couldn't talk to him. He was high on something. And so I just took authority over him, and I said, I command you to sit down and shut up in Jesus' name. And he just plopped right down. And I went on and finished my message, and then after the message was over, I went back and talked to him. And I started telling him about the goodness of God, and that God loves you, and God can set you free, and whatever your situation is, God can move in your life. And this guy started saying, I don't need God. He says, I am God. And he, he started this thing on, I am God. And you know what I did? I took the law and I just cut this guy to shreds. I said, you stink in the nostrils of God. I said, the wrath of God, God's angry at your sin. And I took the law. And within moments, this guy who was professing himself to be God was in a puddle of tears just crying, oh God, have mercy on me. That's the purpose of the law. It's for people that think you're good and you don't need God and somehow or another, God owes you something because you haven't done what I've done or what somebody else has done. The law was given to take away your self-righteousness and show you that compared to God's perfect standard, You've sinned and come short of the glory of God and you deserve the wrath and the punishment of God. Now, all of that's true, but God didn't want us to live under this fear and under this uh, rejection and condemnation. Again, He could have communicated these things to Adam and Eve, but He waited 2000 years. IT WASN'T HIS FIRST REACTION TO SIN. HIS FIRST REACTION TO SIN WAS TO NOT IMPUTE OUR SIN UNTO US, NOT DEAL WITH US ACCORDING TO OUR SIN. HE DIDN'T WANT US TO KNOW HOW BAD IT WAS. YOU KNOW, I HAVE OFTEN THOUGHT ABOUT ADAM AND EVE. IN GENESIS CHAPTER 3 IT SAYS THAT THEY SAW THAT THEY WERE NAKED AND THAT THEY RAN AND HID FROM GOD. THE ONLY THING THEY REALIZED WAS THAT THEY WERE NAKED. Do you know, out of everything that had happened, that was minor. Not having any clothes on was the smallest of their offenses. What would have happened if God would have just sat them down and, you know, just take my staff right here on the front row? We got two, four, uh, seven people right here, including my wife. And if he just took Paul and Patsy and went down the road and talked about the hurt and the pain, Paul and Patsy are dealing with their mothers right now that are at the end of their life. And man, there's been pain and suffering and, and things. And if he had just shown Adam and Eve, says, look what you've done to Paul and Patsy, to Donna and to Larry, to Jamie, to Dwayne and Sue, and all of the hurt and the pain and the rejection and the things that have happened in their life. And if he had shown Adam and Eve, look what your sin has done to just seven people right here. I don't believe Adam and Eve would have been able to live with it. I don't believe they would have been able to cope with it. All they knew was that they were naked. They didn't understand the Hitler's, the Mussolini's, the Saddam Hussein's that they would release on the earth. They didn't understand rape and murder and all this kind of stuff. The Lord didn't want them to live under this guilt and condemnation. He was not imputing their sins unto them, didn't explain all that stuff to them. But when the law came, the law made all that stuff very obvious. And again, I'll be dealing with this in more detail tomorrow, but it says that the law made sin come alive and revive. It made us guilty before God. It stopped our mouth. It condemned us. ALL OF THESE NEGATIVE THINGS. YOU KNOW, IN THE NEW TESTAMENT IT SAYS, THERE IS THEREFORE NOW NO CONDEMNATION TO THEM WHO ARE IN CHRIST JESUS, ROMANS CHAPTER 8, VERSE 1. CONDEMNATION IS ASSOCIATED WITH THE DEVIL, AND YET THE BIBLE SAYS THAT THE LAW MINISTERED CONDEMNATION. IT EVEN CALLS IT A MINISTRY OF CONDEMNATION IN SECOND CORINTHIANS CHAPTER 3, VERSE 9. THE, the LAW was good, it was perfect. There's nothing wrong with the law, but we were imperfect, and therefore it was not a good match. All the law could do was show us how far we had fallen from what God intended us to be, and all it could do was bring guilt and condemnation. And the positive benefits of it was that it took away our deception that, well, just because other people are doing it, it must be okay. No, God showed, here's my standard, AND IT TOOK AWAY SELF-RIGHTEOUSNESS FOR PEOPLE WHO WERE SMUG BECAUSE THEY HAD LIVED A RELATIVELY HOLY LIFE. IT SHOWED THEM THAT YOU STILL SIN AND COME SHORT OF THE GLORY OF GOD. AND SO THOSE WERE TWO POSITIVE BENEFITS, BUT THERE WERE MANY NEGATIVE BENEFITS, THE GUILT, THE FEAR, AND ALL OF THESE OTHER THINGS THAT GO ALONG WITH IT. IF YOU EVER WATCH ANY OF THESE COMMERCIALS ON TELEVISION, THEY'LL, YOU KNOW, ADVERTISE A PILL FOR YOUR HEADACHE, and they'll say, but the side effects are that this could make you impotent. It could cause death. It caused cause heart failure. It cause... And I think, man, give me back my headache. <laughs> the consequence, the side effects of this thing are worse than the problem that they're trying to fix. Well, the law did fix a couple of problems. For anybody who's been under the law, it is gonna take away your relative, uh, Morality, It'll give you an absolute fixed standard of morality, which is good. And it will m- mean that Satan won't have as much deception. You will recognize that this is a direct inroad of Satan into your life. And it will also take away this self-righteousness. And so it does accomplish some things. It was a necessary measure that God had to give, but the side effects of the law are terrible. IT it WAS NEVER GOD'S FIRST STANDARD, AND IT WAS ONLY GIVEN AS A TEMPORARY FIX. AGAIN, TOMORROW, I'LL SHOW YOU ABUNDANCE OF SCRIPTURES ON THIS, BUT THE LAW WAS ONLY GIVEN UNTIL JESUS CAME. WHEN JESUS CAME, HIS MINISTRY WAS NOT UNDER THE LAW. AND THERE WAS THIS uh, KIND OF NO MAN'S LAND IN BETWEEN THE LAW AND IN BETWEEN THE PERIOD OF GRACE, AND JESUS WAS MINISTERING Uh, in a different situation, not imputing people's sins unto them. And then, since the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the New Testament church was never supposed to be under the law. It even says in Romans chapter 10, verse 2, at the end of that verse, that we should have no more conscience of sin. We shouldn't be sin conscious. And yet the church today has become so sin conscious that most people, when they go to pray, oh Lord, we come before you so humbly, we just confess it, And you start immediately mentioning sin, thinking that if you will mention it, maybe God won't mention it. If you'll repent of it first, then God will let it go. But man, you've got to come in and you've got to constantly just be humbling yourself and repenting of all of these things. The Bible says you should have no more conscience of sin. That's radical. That's more radical than I know how to explain. I've never never followed that thought through to its completion, but that's amazing. No more conscience of sin. Most of us are just sin conscious. We're riddled with guilt about it. And it's because of the law. The law is what gives a conscience of sin. And the law was never supposed to be in effect for the New Testament believer. You and I have been raised under a sin consciousness, a fear of God's punishment and judgment that it should have never been there. And many of us, not only this is a revelation to you, but you have been led to embrace the law as being this positive thing. WELL, IT DID HAVE POSITIVE BENEFITS IN THE SENSE THAT AGAIN, LIKE IT TOOK AWAY THIS RELATIVE uh, HOLINESS STANDARD AND IT SHOWED US THAT SELF-RIGHTEOUSNESS WON'T WORK, BUT BEYOND THAT, THERE WASN'T ANY POSITIVE BENEFIT OF IT. IT DOES NOT HELP YOU. and ACTUALLY, IF YOU LIVE UNDER THE LAW, IT WILL ACTUALLY MAKE YOU LUST FOR SIN MORE. And I know some of you just don't understand that, but I, again, my personal testimony, I didn't do these physical things that everybody else did, but I don't know, somehow or another, when you talk about how bad something is, it makes you lust for it more. And I, I guarantee you, I was more susceptible to lust and, and things like this than probably people who went out and participated in sin. The law makes you lust. It makes a concupiscence come alive is what it says in Romans chapter seven. I'll deal with those scriptures again tomorrow. The law was given to make sin come alive on the inside of you. First Corinthians 15, 56, the law is the strength of sin. It gave strength to sin. I know that this doesn't sound right. This is the opposite of what religion has told us, but this is what the Bible says. AND SO IT HAD A FUNCTION, BUT IT WAS ONLY TEMPORARY UNTIL JESUS SHOULD COME, AND WE ARE NOW NO LONGER UNDER THIS. YOU KNOW, ONE OF THE BEST COMPARISONS THAT I CAN COME UP WITH IS LIKE YOUR CHILDREN. WHEN THEY'RE LITTLE, YOU HAVE TO GET YOUR CHILDREN TO DO THE RIGHT THING, AND YOU HAVE TO TEACH THEM TO REJECT THE WRONG THING. And THIS COMPARISON LOSES SOME OF ITS IMPACT TODAY BECAUSE PEOPLE DON'T CORRECT, SPANK THEIR CHILDREN ANYMORE. It's, uh, IT'S BECOMING CHILD ABUSE OR WHATEVER. A LOT OF PEOPLE REJECT THAT. BUT THE SCRIPTURE TEACHES THAT YOU ARE SUPPOSED TO USE THE ROD ON YOUR CHILD, THAT IF YOU DON'T, YOU HATE YOUR CHILD. YOU'VE GOT TO BE ABLE TO RESTRAIN YOUR CHILDREN AND TEACH THEM RIGHT FROM WRONG BEFORE THEY'RE ABLE TO REASON IT OUT ON THEIR OWN. If you wait until your kids are two years old before you start correcting them, that's why they call it the terrible twos. It's because they've already established their selfish lifestyle and stuff like this. You've got to teach a child right and wrong. You know, I had this woman in our church when we lived in uh, Childress, Texas, and she was dealing with multiple sclerosis, so she wasn't able to get around as good as she was supposed to, and she was raising two of her grandchildren And I was over at her house one day talking to her, and these grandkids were just running all around, and they ran out in the street. There was a couple of times I had to run out into the street and grab these kids and pull them back in to keep them from being hit by a car. And she was just screaming and yelling at them, and she she looked at me and she says, I just can't control them. How do you control kids? I said, I can teach you how to control kids. (laughs) And she says, well, what do you mean? I said, "Uh, do you give me permission to discipline your children? She says, you can do whatever you want to. So I got those kids and I told them, don't do that again. If you do, you're going to get a spanking. Well, they just totally disobeyed me because they hadn't, they have been taught that, you know, words didn't mean anything. And so they ran out in the street again. Boy, I got them and I wore the backside of those kids out. And they were just crying and screaming. And then I went back to talking to the lady and they started for the street again. And I said, you do that again, you're going to get a spanking. Boy, they stopped and looked at me and they decided they would stay in the yard and not run out in the street. And some people, oh, that's terrible that you'd ever raise your hand to a child. Well, what's better, let them run out in the street and get killed by a car? See, people that say that you should not never discipline your... You're, your kids are going to have things happen to them. It's just dependent on whether you are going to administer it in a way that's positive that helps them learn a lesson or if you let life's uh, hard knocks discipline them. You know, we had an example about our son Joshua. We were out walking in, uh, uh, through this area that had dirt roads out there and the weeds were up three and four feet tall and Joshua was just a year old. And he was running ahead of us, and I don't know, he wasn't quite as far as from here to the back of this auditorium, but he was a long ways in front of us, and we did this all the time, and there was never anybody out on that road. But all of a sudden, we could see somebody come in a car, and I mean, the dust was raising. This guy was driving really fast on these dirt roads out in this remote area, and Joshua was so far in front of me, and this car, I could tell that they were going to meet at the exact same time at this intersection. It was physically impossible for me to run and restrain him, but because we had disciplined him, all I had to do was say, Joshua, stop. And I mean, boom, he just stopped in his tracks right then. And within, I mean, just inches, boom, here comes his car. And it saved his life because we had corrected him. YOU'VE GOT TO BE ABLE TO GET PEOPLE, YOUNG KIDS ESPECIALLY, TO DO THE RIGHT THING BEFORE THEY HAVE THE ABILITY TO REASON IT OUT. YOU KNOW, I'VE USED THIS EXAMPLE A LOT, THAT IF A LITTLE KID GOES OVER AND TAKES A TOY FROM HIS BROTHER OR HIS SISTER, AND IF YOU GOT THAT ONE-YEAR-OLD AND SAT HIM DOWN AND SAID, NOW LOOK, WHEN YOU DO THIS, YOU'RE BEING SELFISH. THIS IS THE DEVIL. Satan is the one who always wants you to be doing this. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And if you are selfish, then you are gonna open up a door to Satan and this is gonna cause you to have your friendships fail. Your marriage is gonna fail. You'll never be able to keep a job. And if you try and talk to a one-year-old about this stuff, they do not understand that. But you know what you can tell a one-year-old? You go take that toy again and I'll give you a spanking. And they may not even know there is a devil or a God or a heaven or a hell, but the next time they hear that voice about going over and taking this thing, they'll say no because they're afraid of the spanking. Well, see, that's what the law was. People weren't spiritual. It says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. A lost man, a person under the old covenant could not understand the things that I'm talking about right here. They didn't have this perception and ability. And so how did God deal with them? How did he restrain the amount of sin until Jesus could come and redeem us out from under this situation and make us born again people? Well, the simple answer is the law. He just said, you go over here and pick up sticks on the Sabbath day and I'll kill you. AND YOU KNOW WHAT, THAT'S HARSH AND IT'S TERRIBLE, BUT IT IMMEDIATELY BROUGHT PEOPLE'S CONSCIENCE BACK TO WHERE IT SHOULD BE. IMMEDIATELY THEY BEGIN TO REALIZE, UH-OH, THIS LIFESTYLE IS NOT ACCEPTABLE. I CAN'T DO THIS. AND THROUGH FEAR, IT CAUSED THEM TO DO THE RIGHT THING. BUT IT HAD ALL OF THESE NEGATIVE SIDE EFFECTS, AND THAT WAS THE GUILT, THE CONDEMNATION, AND ALL OF THESE THINGS. AND BROTHERS AND SISTERS, THE, the USE OF THE LAW AS BEING GOD'S ORIGINAL Purpose. That's the way it's been interpreted. This is the way that God originally was. God just hates sin. God wants to reject you and stuff like this. This has given people a wrong impression about God. God did not give the law immediately because that wasn't His first reaction. His first reaction was not to impute people's sins unto Him, and He only gave the law as a stopgap measure. It was only temporary. It should have been over as far as people using it to uh, reveal right and wrong to us in the New Covenant, God puts these laws in our hearts and He has made us completely different. We have a totally different relationship. The church should never have been under the law. They should not have been promoting and uh, acknowledging the law. It was never intended for us and the use of this has caused a lot of damage. And it has made people feel that they have to do all of these things to be worthy. You know, I've used this example often, but the people that are here on a Friday morning, listening to me and listening to Dwayne, you're the fanatics, or you were drug here by a fanatic. This isn't your <laughs> nod to God crowd. You believe in the supernatural. You believe, when I testify about my son being raised from the dead, you believe that. You believe in miracles and stuff like that. You don't doubt that God has the ability, but what you doubt is that God would use his ability on your behalf because of a sin consciousness that comes by the law. IT'S NOT YOUR DOUBT THAT GOD CAN DO IT. If, IF SOMEBODY FELL OVER DEAD HERE TODAY, AND IF I SAID, WELL, I'VE SEEN PEOPLE RAISED FROM THE DEAD, I'M GONNA PRAY AND I BELIEVE GOD'S GONNA RAISE THEM FROM THE DEAD. HOW MANY OF YOU AGREE? MOST OF YOU WOULD BE RIGHT THERE WITH ME. MANY OF YOU WOULD GET UP HERE CLOSE. YOU'D LIKE TO SEE IT. BUT YOU KNOW WHERE I COULD LOSE THE MAJORITY OF YOU IS I SAY, ALL RIGHT, IF YOU BELIEVE IT, YOU COME UP HERE AND PRAY FOR THIS PERSON. AND ALL OF A SUDDEN WHAT HAPPENS? Did God change? Well, why is it that you believe he'd do it for me or that he'd do it for somebody else, but when it comes to you doing it, all of a sudden you don't have near as much confidence. It's because you know you better than you know me. If you knew me as well as you know you, you wouldn't have any more faith in my prayers than you got in your prayers. (laughs) But see, you get to thinking that a minister, we got it all together, and somehow or another God's gonna use us, but you know you. You know every rotten thing about you. You don't know all the rotten things about me. And so you have more faith in my prayers than you got in your prayers. But see, it's a sin consciousness. It's because I, I read a thing this last week. I don't know if Jamie can help me remember how this goes, but it says people that are in, have an insecurity type of thing, it's because they're reading everybody else's highlight reels and they're reading their behind the scenes uh, stuff about themselves. I don't know if I quoted that right. But anyway, it's something like that. And that's true. You know everything about you. You don't know everything about me. You see me at my best. And so you get to thinking that ministers are something. God just uses us. It's because you have this performance-based relationship with God. And I'm telling you, that is not the New Testament. THE NEW TESTAMENT IS NOT BASED ON YOUR PERFORMANCE. IT'S BASED ON WHAT JESUS DID FOR YOU. IT'S BASED ON GRACE. LAW IS OPPOSITE GRACE. YOU CANNOT BE WALKING IN GRACE AND LAW AT THE SAME TIME. YOU CAN'T MIX THE TWO TOGETHER. THIS IS EXACTLY WHAT JESUS WAS TALKING ABOUT WHEN HE SAYS YOU CAN'T PUT NEW WINE INTO AN OLD BOTTLE. YOU CAN'T PUT A NEW PATCH ON AN OLD GARMENT. HE WASN'T JUST TALKING ABOUT CLOTHES and. Why, and he was talking about you can't mix the New Testament grace and the Old Testament law. They are incompatible. You can't serve God under all of the Old Testament laws and under the New Testament grace. They aren't compatible. And sad to say, most Christians just don't understand this. To them, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is one blank page. It's just like a chapter division or something. There's a reason that one's called the Old Covenant and the other one's called the New Covenant. They aren't compatible. And brothers and sisters, the church has not been preaching the New Covenant. They have been preaching a mixture, a pollution of the two. And this is what Paul talked about in Galatians chapter one, when he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from the grace INTO THIS LEGALISTIC THING. AND HE SAYS, IT'S NOT ANOTHER GOSPEL, BUT IT'S A PERVERSION OF THE GOSPEL. IT WOULD HAVE BEEN EASIER TO COUNTER IF SOMEBODY WOULD HAVE JUST STOOD UP AND SAID, OH, I DON'T BELIEVE IN JESUS. I DON'T BELIEVE YOU HAVE TO BE BORN AGAIN. I DON'T BELIEVE YOU HAVE TO PRAY IN THE NAME OF JESUS. IT'S ALL BASED ON YOUR OWN HOLINESS AND PERFORMANCE. THAT WOULD BE RELATIVELY EASY TO COUNTER THAT. But when somebody comes along and says, oh yeah, you need to be born again, and oh yeah, you need to pray in the name of Jesus, but you also have to be holy, and unless you've done this and this and this, God won't bless you, that is much more difficult to counter. That is a perversion of the gospel, a mixture of stuff, and this is what's happened through religion. Some of it, I don't, I DON'T KNOW ALL THE MOTIVATION FOR IT, BUT I, I'M SURE SOME OF IT IS JUST TOTAL IGNORANCE. PEOPLE HAVEN'T GOT A REVELATION OF THE GOSPEL AND THEY HAVEN'T BEEN PREACHING IT BECAUSE THEY DON'T KNOW ANY DIFFERENT. WHEN I FIRST GOT TURNED ON TO THE LORD, I USED TO GO OUT AND PREACH TO PEOPLE. I REMEMBER I MADE UP TRACKS, AND ONE OF THEM SAID, REPENT OR ELSE, TURN OR BURN, AND I'D GO TO THE BARS AND I'D PASS THEM OUT AND TELL PEOPLE, YOU'RE GOING TO HELL AND STUFF. And I was in love with God, but that's the way I'd been taught that you did it. That was the example. And so I was doing it out of ignorance. We had another track that we printed up that says, what you must do to go to hell. And you open it up and it was totally blank on the inside. And then you turn it over to the back page and it says, that's right, you don't have to do anything because you're already a sinner and you're going to hell. Amen. AND THAT'S THE WAY I USED TO MINISTER TO PEOPLE BECAUSE THAT'S THE WAY I WAS TAUGHT IN the BAPTIST CHURCH. AND SO I, I JUST DIDN'T KNOW ANY BETTER. BUT YOU KNOW WHAT? I'M TELLING YOU, IT'S THE GOODNESS OF GOD THAT DRAWS MAN TO REPENTANCE. YOU CAN BRING PEOPLE TO THE END OF THEMSELVES AND TO AN ACKNOWLEDGEMENT OF THEIR NEED THROUGH THE LAW, BUT THAT'S ALL THE LAW CAN DO. IT CAN'T SET YOU FREE. ALL IT'LL DO IS BIND YOU. ALL IT'LL DO IS CONDEMN. AND CONSTANTLY SHOW YOU HOW FAR SHORT YOU'VE FALLEN. IT'LL NEVER RELEASE THE LOVE, THE MERCY, AND THE GRACE OF GOD. AND WE'VE GOT AN ENTIRE GENERATION OF CHRISTIANS TODAY THAT HAVE BEEN RAISED UNDER THIS LAW MENTALITY WHO ARE SO AWARE OF HOW FAR SHORT THEY'VE FALLEN, HOW WRONG THEY ARE. THEY BELIEVE IN THE EXISTENCE OF GOD. THEY BELIEVE GOD CAN DO ANYTHING, BUT THEY DOUBT THAT HE WILL DO IT FOR THEM BECAUSE THEY FEEL GUILTY AND CONDEMNED and they aren't trusting Jesus. They're trusting in their own righteousness. And I tell you, that's got to change. So God is a good God. And again, this is still just an introduction. seems like all I ever do is introductions. But by the grace of God, tomorrow I'm gonna have two sessions and I will be able to get into detail and show you a lot of scriptures. And if the Bible means anything to you, you're going to have to admit that the law wasn't given to set you free, but it was given to bind you and to show you how bad you were so that you would throw yourself at the feet of Jesus and ask for mercy instead of justice. Amen, that's the purpose of the law. And if you understand all of this, it'll help you to see that God is a good God. It's just like, you know, when I used to spank my kids, I remember my father telling me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I THOUGHT, IT DOES NOT, (laughs) IT HURTS ME. (laughs) BUT NOW THAT I'VE HAD KIDS, I UNDERSTAND WHAT HE WAS SAYING, AND THAT IS THAT YOU DON'T EVER WANT TO HURT YOUR CHILDREN, BUT IT'S BETTER FOR YOU TO HURT THEM AND TEACH THEM A LESSON THAN IT IS for TO LET THEM GO OUT THERE AND LET LIFE JUST HAVE ITS WAY WITH THEM BECAUSE THEY WEREN'T RESTRAINED AND STUFF LIKE THIS. AND LIKEWISE, GOD NEVER WANTED TO GIVE THE LAW. THAT WAS NOT HIS FIRST REACTION. It was temporary, it was added because of transgressions is what it says in the book of Galatians, and it was only until Jesus should come. It was a stopgap measure, an immediate emergency uh, reaction until Jesus should come. And now that Jesus has come, you should not be under the law, under the guilt, the condemnation of the law today. We ought to be living under the freedom and the liberty that Jesus brings. Amen? Amen. Man, that's good news. (laughs) Hallelujah. If there's anybody here today who doesn't know Jesus, I've been speaking to Christians, but, but this should answer some questions for you. And it'll do a number of things. One thing, it doesn't matter what everybody else is saying today. God's Word is the absolute standard of what right and wrong is, and all of us have sinned and come short of that standard. And IF YOU HAVE THIS RELATIVE SENSE OF WORTH, THINKING THAT I'M BETTER THAN SOME PEOPLE, MOST PEOPLE KIND OF FEEL LIKE GOD IS GOING TO PUT US IN A BALANCE, AND IF YOUR GOOD OUTWEIGHS YOUR BAD, THEN YOU'LL BE ACCEPTED WITH GOD. THE LAW COMPLETELY DESTROYS THAT CONCEPT. IF YOU'VE DONE ONE THING WRONG IN YOUR ACTIONS OR IN YOUR THOUGHTS IN YOUR ENTIRE LIFETIME, THEN YOU'RE GUILTY AND YOU NEED A SAVIOR. AND SO IF YOU'RE ONE OF THESE THAT'S THINKING, WELL, I'm, I THINK I'M A RELATIVELY GOOD PERSON. I'M GOING TO BE ACCEPTED. YOU NEED A SAVIOR. AND THE LAW WILL BRING YOU TO THAT POINT. AND WE WANT TO GIVE YOU AN OPPORTUNITY TO RECEIVE THAT SALVATION. IF YOU ARE ALREADY BORN AGAIN, BUT IF YOU DON'T HAVE THE BAPTISM OF THE HOLY SPIRIT, YOU NEED TO RECEIVE THAT. I THINK WE HAD, I THINK THEY SAID 39 PEOPLE LAST NIGHT THAT CAME FORWARD AND RECEIVED THE BAPTISM AND TWO PEOPLE GOT BORN AGAIN. And uh, if there's anybody here today who doesn't know Jesus personally, you need to accept him. And if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you need to receive that. Is there anybody here who would raise your hand and say, I'd like to receive one or both of those. If that's you, I'd like you to just raise your hand. We'd like to pray with you. Anybody? Here's some at the back. You know, when I'm talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this includes speaking in tongues. It's not limited to that, but it includes it. AND I'M TELLING YOU, SPEAKING IN TONGUES IS A POWERFUL, POWERFUL EXPERIENCE. SOME PEOPLE THINK YOU CAN RECEIVE THE BAPTISM WITHOUT SPEAKING IN TONGUES. I BELIEVE IT'S POSSIBLE, BUT WHY WOULD YOU WANT TO? IT IS A PART OF THE BAPTISM OF THE HOLY SPIRIT. WHEN IN THE BIBLE, WHEN THEY received THE BAPTISM OF THE HOLY SPIRIT, THEY SPOKE IN TONGUES. IF YOU DON'T SPEAK IN TONGUES, YOU NEED THE BAPTISM OF THE HOLY SPIRIT. I CAN GUARANTEE IT. ANYBODY ELSE HERE? You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand, would you just get up out of your seat? Come forward right here. We're going to pray with you and we're going to help you to receive. And praise God. I believe this will change your life. Praise the Lord. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible we invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.